The difference between having a great quarter, making your number, or reporting a bad quarter often comes down to the effectiveness of your sales team's discovery calls and demos. But how do you make sure your reps are doing the right things on their calls in order to finish the quarter strong? Well, introducing Gong.io, the number one conversation intelligence platform for B2B sales teams. Gong helps you ensure your reps are doing deep discovery calls and crisp sales demos by recording, transcribing, and analyzing their calls. And Gong allows you to understand how well your playbook is being followed and analyze how well it's working so you can constantly move the needle on your win rates. Now, if you request a demo of Gong as a result of hearing this message, you'll get a free ebook copy of my award-winning book, Zero Time Selling, 10 Essential Steps to Accelerate Every Company's Sales. So go to gong.io forward slash accelerate to request your no-obligation demo and get your copy of my award-winning book, Zero Time Selling. Again, that's gong.io forward slash accelerate, G-O-N-G dot I-O forward slash accelerate. So go there now and come back and enjoy today's episode. It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 527 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record, where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Joining me on the show for the first time is Randy Gage. Randy is a best-selling author and leading speaker on success and prosperity, and he's the president of The Prosperity Factory. Now, we're going to talk about some key points from his latest book, Mad Genius, a Manifesto for Entrepreneurs. And today, we're going to jump into how to escape from mediocrity, how to ask the bigger questions that really engage your customers, and how to learn how to discover the future factors that are going to transform their business. And that will all point to where you can add value. So if you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, after we're done, go to andypaul.com forward slash 527. There you'll find a timestamp to break down this and all my conversations on Accelerate. So let's jump right into it. Randy Gage, welcome to Accelerate. Hey, great to be on with you. Well, pleasure to have you on the show. So a couple sort of standard questions asked well, my guests uh, right at the beginning, and, and we have largely a sales entrepreneurial audience. So you work with a lot of companies. I mean, what in your mind today, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales professionals? For sales professionals, it's still going to be the timeless one of the mind game. (laughs) That 80% of everything from hitting a fastball to uh, climbing a mountain to making a sale is still mental and having the right mindset. And selling is a very... A rewarding profession in so many ways and can offer so many unique rewards. And it's going to offer some resistance and some rejection and some. You bet. Yeah. And uh, it's having, I think for people, it's having their mind right of going out, knowing the value of what they have, not taking things personally and looking for opportunities as I always talk in the book throughout it, you know, can you solve problems and can you add value? Right. And if salespeople go out there with that mindset, well, that's a big, big difference. Well, that's sort of fascinating. And it's for using sort of point of departure in our discussion here today is a line in your book, which, which sort of counterintuitive, but, but obvious once you really sat and thought about it, is you said, if you ask a hundred people what the opposite of success is, 99 will probably answer failure. But as you said, that's that's really the big lie. That's not the right answer. Right. 
So tell people yeah. what, what the answer is. What's the opposite of success? Yeah, because the opposite of success is mediocrity. Yeah. And what people need to realize is that failure is part of the success process, that you don't have success without failure baked in the cake somewhere along the way. Uh, and sales, marketing, any kind of entrepreneurship, we're going to test, we're going to track, we're going to modify. And we're not going to, every product launch is not going to be a success. And every call we make is not going to be a sale. And every uh, presentation or approach or marketing material we create is not going to be a grand slam. Uh, we're going to find things that don't work. And as long as we learn from them and use those those challenges and uh, as stepping stones. Okay, hey, that's my wake up call. I need to develop new skills. I need to get better. I need to change my approach. That's the gift that uh, mistakes or failure or challenges give us. Uh, and that's a big thing for sales and sellers, you know, people who sell and market and entrepreneurs in general. But don't, it seems like to me that, that I see, it seems like a lot of companies sort of almost reward mediocrity. That's true. I, I would agree with you. I think a lot of companies do reward mediocrity. Because I think, they, they don't set expectations for growth, nor do they prioritize developing their employees. I agree. And because I think political parties accept mediocrity and sports teams accept mediocrity and every aspect of our society today it, it creates that because we in Australia they call it the tall poppy syndrome, right. which is you know if you're the tallest flower, you're you the first down. one that's going to get cut. So, right. you know, get in your cubicle, hunker down, keep your head below the the line, and you know don't get noticed, and you're safer. And of course, the whole premise of my book before Mad Genius was called "Risky is the New Safe," and uh, because I think. The companies and the people who play it safe, they're the ones who get that end up being roadkill because the market is changing too fast now. There's so much disruption, so much change. Uh, if you're playing it safe, you know, you can't just say, oh, we're going to be nimble. No, everybody's <laughs> nimble. OK, that doesn't work. Anymore. The the thing I'm really stressing in the Mad Genius book is. You need to be able to look around the corner and see what you think is going to happen. And, and going back to that premise of, okay, how can I help solve problems? How can I add value? So if, if I'm a salesperson listening to this podcast right now, the, my first step, I'm going to say, okay, who is my perfect customer? What, what do they look like? If I could say, Who's my three dream clients that I want to have? So wh what is their position? What, you know, are they a, a department store buyer? Are they a vice president of marketing? Are they a HR department head? Are they, a, you know, whatever it is. So you say, okay, who's my, let, let me think of my ideal client. Think of three or four of them. And then you ask yourself, okay, tell me what, what are the three things that are keeping them awake at night. Because if you know what those three things are, you will never have a problem making sales as long as you can somehow add value to the process of how they uh, handle those three things. You can show them how to do it faster, how to make it easier, how to do it for less money, whatever. 
or you solve problems. So if you can help solve those problems or add value to those challenges, then you're not a salesman. You're not cold calling. You're not begging people to buy something from you. You're a partner um, instead of a vendor. You're a you're a partner to the success of what they want to accomplish. And they will love to meet you for lunch. They will love to see you coming in because they know you're bringing value to them. Well, let's talk a little bit about the journey to make that happen. Because you you talk about the importance of understanding where you live. And you sort of, <laughs> by that you mean, you know, which you have four groupings. You set up mediocre, good, great, and mad genius. And so understanding what neighborhood you're in is, is the journey really starts with, with have to be, brutally honest with yourself or have some sort of resource that can, that you trust that will be brutally honest with you. So you, you understand where you're starting. Yeah. If you have two or three people in your life who will tell you the truth, then you got a shot to be in the top 2%. You have a shot to be world-class. You have a shot to be mad genius, but most people don't have that because most people surround themselves with people who give them permission to stay the way they are and say, yeah, you know, you never had a chance at that. You know, you're too old for that. You're not old enough for that. You were born on the wrong side of the, you need to, you know, you got to have connections for that. You need a degree for that. And we love to have people around us who tell us why things are not our fault. Right. Uh, But that's not what's going to cause us to break through. That's not what's going to cause us to grow. We need at least a couple people who love us enough to tell us the truth and love us enough to challenge us. And so I've always sought out those relationships of people that I can tell them the truth and I know they're going to tell me the truth. And when you can mastermind and brainstorm with people like that, uh, it's a whole different world for you, whole different world. Yes, I was thinking about you know these four areas you lined out the the mediocre the good the great i actually thought the most dangerous one was the good and for the reasons we talked about before is that's that's the area where people have achieved something and then become self-satisfied and stop questing at that point they start protect, sure. they, they start protecting and i think for people listening to this podcast is is you know a little bit of success is is dangerous if you don't keep building on it my comfort zones are so comfortable That's why we call comfort zones. The problem is nothing ever grows there. Yeah, they're deserts. They're deserts. So you identified really one of the challenges then for leaders and for individuals, because you know we have both leaders, individuals, the the contributors that listen to the show is is escaping the mediocre, creating this culture of of leadership. And you have this this interesting formula, like the 20-70-10 formula. Why don't you tell people a little bit about that and how that applies to them? Well, in other words, if I go back to my experience of running a restaurant, I started, I was a minimum wage dishwasher, and then I was a cook, and then a waiter, and busboy, and worked my way up, right? What type of restaurant? And, uh, a, a pancake house. I started in a pancake house and I was a manager <laughs> for pizza hut. I was a manager of Howard Johnson's. Um, oh, Joe's. Wow. Yeah. Back in the day, <laughs> 37, 37 flavors. <laughs> I think it was 33. Wasn't it? I have no <laughs> idea. It was that long ago. I can't remember, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, whatever it was. 
Right. And so there is an industry with a 200 percent annual turnover. And you probably have sales managers listening to this podcast that wish they could get their turnover down to 200 percent annual. In some cases, right? Yeah. And some whether, you know, maybe it's a timeshare thing or a car lot or something like they may really they might have a 300 percent turnover. Right. Mm hmm. There's people listening to this that do, right? Um, and we like to think, okay, I can change them. I can, you know, create a structure. I can create, and that's true. We, that's our job as if you're a sales manager, a sales leader, a, a leader of any kind. But I, that formula that you're talking about, I'm saying that most of the people, by the time you got them, they already um, are kind of somewhere on that scale. In other words, there's 10% of a group, they're just natural leaders. They want to learn. They want to do better. They want extra projects so they can learn and grow, and they want to be challenged. Uh, and if you, let's say you're running a, a beauty salon or a retail store or something, and they work for you, and you leave $1,000 laying outside, you know, laying in the desk by mistake, they're going to say, hey, did you see you left this money here on the desk and they wouldn't even think of stealing it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you got 20% of the people there thinking, how can I do less? How can I get, you know, hang out in the cubicle? How can I get unemployment? How can I rip them off? You know, how can I, those are the ones I had in the restaurant that were carrying out boxes of steaks out of the walk-in cooler late at night. Right. That was determined before I ever got them. So, you're not going to change those people and you're not going to change in either extreme. Right. But it's that big group in the middle. They're the ones, if you create the right environment for them, they're the ones who could go either way. And if you create the right environment, they can produce at dramatically higher levels and really become important parts of your team and, and your job for them can be an important empowering thing in their life. So as a leader, how do you how do you set that culture? Well, the magic word you just said was culture. It's all about creating culture. It's not rules and guidelines. It's culture where people understand this is what's expected in this organization. This is how we operate when challenges. So in other words, there's companies that have a big red button, right? That anybody in the company could hit this emergency button. So that means, hey, um, my boss is hitting on me. Uh, you know, I've got sexual harassment. They go and hit that button and they know they're going to be safe to hit that button. Or they're a, a foreman on the, the assembly line and they're saying, hey, you know, I got a boss pushing me to get this product out because they need to ship on Wednesday. And I think this product is defective and mm -hmm. I think it poses a danger to the people who buy it. So I'm going to go and push that red button. Right. That's culture. Right. I forget. I don't know if it was Tom Peters and uh, uh, or maybe the good to great book. But I think it was Tom Peters, the, the story of the FedEx guy who, you know, rented a helicopter to go pick up the packages that in some, I don't know, snowstorm or calamity right, right, or natural right. disaster where he didn't get fired, where they said, hey, that's initiative. He knew we absolutely guarantee that package is going to be there the next day. So we do whatever we got to do to meet our commitment. 
the companies who have the policies where uh, Ritz Carlton or companies like that that say, hey, you, you don't have to ask. You do what you have to do to make that client happy. If you've got to comp their presidential suite at $4,000, and that's what you do. If you've got to buy them dinner, if you've got to whatever, you know, make the customer happy. That's a culture, right? You create that. You create a culture of, hey, you know, we know there's bugs in this software, but we need to ship it anyway. Well, that's a culture. Culture yeah. of, well, you know, we're exploiting our people and we're overworking them and we're not really paying them overtime like we're supposed to because, you know, we nudge and wink and, you know, we create, hey, that's a culture. You And, and, and the biggest thing for me in terms of the 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 mad genius is – you create a culture where people are allowed to fail and that that's expected, that that's part of the thing, that if we really have somebody doing something amazing, attempting to do something world class, something breakthrough, they're going to have some failures. And that's just part of the game. And we're going to accept that and celebrate that and learn the lessons from that. But if you create a culture where people are not allowed to make mistakes, where people are not allowed to be wrong, um, then they're not going to go after those really amazing accounts. They're not going to go for that creating that breakthrough proposal that could bring in $30 million worth of business because they think if I put this out there and then I go out and I don't make the sale and the deal doesn't close – then look at the internal politics I'm going to have to face and I'm going to have the scarlet letter on me and going to, re, you know, reduce <laughs> but, but we see my- this. We see this increasingly in sales, is the, especially some with the advent of a lot of the sales technology tools that have come to bear is, is there's this greater transparency into the activity level of, of sales professionals. So mm-hmm. they're being held to account to doing you know, quantity of things as opposed to quality of things. Oftentimes. And, and that that's the mediocrity factory right there. Right. right there. And they don't feel that they can, you know, when I came up in sales, we were given a process, but <laughs> almost none of us followed it because we tried to find what worked for us. And, but now we seem to be taking away a lot of the latitude from a lot of our sales professionals and they don't feel that they can, you know, develop this unique identity, unique set of skills, their own leadership you know, attributes if they would, if you would, because yeah, they're so tightly constrained by the process. Right. Cause we got a mobile app that tells us they only made uh, 17 calls that week instead of 20 mm-hmm. or 17 calls that day instead of 20. And maybe they only made one call, but it was with somebody that could produce a $30 million account, right. Or a $50 million account. Uh, or become a customer for the next 40 years of solid, great client you would want to have. And they don't have the latitude to do that. So, yeah, that's when I talk about creating culture. It's, it's vital to create that safe space for creative people to be brilliant. Yeah, I mean, and you talk about it in the book, which I really like, is this perspective of you know, business as art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and entrepreneurs as artists or entrepreneurs as, as artists. And I think that's yes. really, that is that creative spark. There is that element of art to it, which again, there's this whole pushback because, you know, now we have, and not that I object to big data, I think there's lots of really important ways to use it, but there's a lot of really bad ways to use it too. 
And one of those is to say, yeah, the data is going to squish the human element out of what we're trying to do. And that's where the, the genius comes from. I, you know, I, I, I'm 58 now. I'm my, I've been through four spinal surgeries. So my Halicon days as a softball superstar are reaching an end. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I called the league. I said, listen, you know, I'm in so much pain after I play. You know, I'm going to retire. Find me a beginning team that, that needs a coach. That, that needs training, how to hit, how to throw, how to run the base. You know, let me, let me take over a beginning team and share this knowledge that I've learned. And right. So I'm coaching this, uh, you know, D division, which is the lowest division coaching that team. And I could use that analogy that you're making for the sales thing, right? Could I, I could say, well, this guy has this batting average and this girl has this batting average and this pitcher does that. And but I also know, well, I've got one pitcher who's an older guy and he's overweight and he's a little out of shape, but he pitches great the first game in the morning. But if I push him the second game, he's going to walk everybody. But that first game, he's going to be amazing, right? Mm -hmm. And I've got another one who works all night on the graveyard shift. And I know, man, by the second game, the third game, there, you know, you can't just go by the number. Sometimes I have to say, you know, I just got a feeling that I need to put Mitch in to pitch or I got a feeling I'm going to pinch hit this gal for this guy. And, you know, that's you can't do everything by analytics. You cannot. I mean, you can, but I think you I think you lose if you do, if you eliminate that that uh, mad genius ability, which we all have, which we can tap into, uh, we lose something. Well, yeah, and you, you call it a void in the psyche in the book that that is crying out for creativity, for solving problems that we've talked about before, asking the great questions, you know, innovating. And yeah, data's not gonna tell you that. That has to come from within. That's that, you know, that's that artistic aspect of it, which I think is so important. The creativity. It's hopefully why people get into sales or start their own companies. It's not just I want to make all money, but it's because it's hugely fulfilling on a psychic level. To solve problems, to help people. Yeah, and if I hope your readers, your listeners will read the Mad Genius book because it's all about the this next decade. We're going to enter the most cataclysmic decade in human history where we're going to face the specter of artificial intelligence surpassing all acquired human knowledge, cloning, 3D printing, uh, just virtual reality, augmented reality cryptocurrencies, all these disruptive technologies that we have going on. And a lot of your people are going to say, well, that doesn't affect me. I sell cars. So that doesn't affect me. I sell copiers. But it does because <laughs> yeah. you have to know every person who's listening to this webcast has to say, okay, how will 3D printing affect every one of my clients? How will cryptocurrencies affect every one of my clients? How will human cloning affect every one of my clients, right? If, if uh, Johnson & Sons hardware store can clone seven more sons who are exactly identical to <laughs> the other one, um, why do they need to hire anyone else for that hardware store, right? There's, we're going to, I mean, crazy challenges. Like, how does that work? You know, how is that conversation at the Thanksgiving dinner? 
What does it happen when uh, uh, and people say, well, no, we'll never allow human cloning. There will be some country somewhere that doesn't have natural resources, that doesn't have whatever, and they're going to say, we're going to be the cloning country. And you could have 180 countries all sign a treaty that nobody will do human cloning. Somebody's still going to do it. That's going to happen at some point. And then if North Korea says, okay, we want to buy 500,000 human clone soldiers, what's the defense against the clone army, right? This is not Star Wars stuff. These are issues that we're going to face in the real world. Um, well, yeah, you take, you, take the car, you take the car sales first. I mean, if, if <laughs> this is more near term than the cloned humans, this is what if people don't buy cars in 10 years, right? Because it's all car services. All autonomy driven vehicles that yeah, I mean, pick you up. That's Uber's real game plan is, sure. hey, right now we're hiring all these drivers, but we're going to be one of the first with autonomous cars without drivers. And think how many millennials now who say, you know, I don't, I don't want to own a car. I don't want to own a house. I don't, you know, exactly. it's, it's too much for the planet. I just Uber everywhere. I Lyft everywhere or whatever. Well, is that not going to impact the, the Chevy dealership and the Ford dealership? Of course it is. So sure. if you're, you've got to be saying, hey, how does this, you know, all of these things from biogenetic engineering to cloning to cryptocurrencies to you know, space exploration, all of that are all going to impact every, just even more basic things like social media and the smart app, you know, the, the, the mobile apps and the smartphone, that changes everything about branding, that changes everything about communication, that changes everything about marketing, changes everything about sales. Um, you could make a sales call five years ago and you make a sales call and you say this and this and this and they say, okay, okay. Now you make that sales call and you say this, this and this, they're pulling out their smartphone and checking you, they're fact checking you real time. Mm-hmm. And you just said that, you know, the capacity of this is, but I'm looking on the Google right now and it says that this, I mean, that's a whole new world, right? So all of these things are going to impact every single entrepreneur on earth from the neighborhood beauty salon to the copier salesman to the mom and pop retail store. And so that impacts everybody. And the, the book is about, okay, how do we predict those trends? How do we see where the future is going and then find out what challenges they're going to cause? And then when we know what the challenges are, we know how we can help solve them. And now we've got something where we can add value. Well, and one of the key stories you tell in the book, which I, I think was, was really fun, was, was that it's not, it's not the customer's job to know what they're going to need. It's your job as the entrepreneur, as the salesperson. And you give the story about Henry Ford who said, yeah, if we had asked people what they wanted before I invented the car, they would have said faster horses. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like, it's, it makes absolute sense because they didn't know what a car was, right? So yeah, I want a faster horse. Yeah. And of course, if you go to sales training, they're going to say, listen to your customers, ask questions. Well, that's true. We should listen to our customers. We should ask questions. But if you ask the wrong question, the answer doesn't matter. And we have to ask some of those questions even before our customer does. That's our job is to know what they're going to need sometimes before they know it. Which means that to another point you bring up in the book, which is that we have to break out of our you know, conventional thinking, our patterns of habitual thinking, I think, as, as you referred to in your book, mm-hmm. so that we're not just 
asking the same scripted questions all the time that sort of solves today's issues and doesn't really account for what's coming up. Because that's when you're starting to add value to the customer and you get the conversation steered toward what do they really want to achieve in their business. It's not the methodology they use to get there. Do you need them to tell you what they really want to accomplish? Yeah, exactly. Like I have a, you know, literally in my inbox right now, I've got a thing for one of my clients. It's a survey they're sending out to all their people and um, they're a Latin company. So the original survey was in Spanish, was translated to English. Um, And it's not even, it's not conversational. It doesn't make any sense. And this survey will give them no usable data whatsoever. But there's a vice president somewhere in an office who's justifying their salary and they're going to say, yes, we created, we did research and we spoke to our customers and we found this and this. And But if I read these questions, I say, these are so ambiguous, nobody's going to understand at all what you're asking. So the answers they're going to give you are worthless. But if you don't have somebody who's really caring about the right result, then the question's irrelevant. So last question for you is, is, so how do you, how do you work with people to get them to, you know, break through this habitual thinking, this, you know, in the box thinking and develop a little bit broader worldview? Well, that's why I wrote the book. It's a manifesto for entrepreneurs. And you know, because you've read it, that middle section where I'm showing the smart appliances and the refrigerators that automatically reorder the soda and the biogenetic engineering and the virtual reality sex and all of these, you know, artificial intelligence and all of these things so that it shocks the system of people because they think, well, you know, this is Star Trek stuff for a hundred years from now. And they don't understand. No, we're entering the most cataclysmic change in human history will take place over the next decade. So the idea of the book is to kind of Uh, shock them into opening eyes and saying, wow, I need to uh, look at the world through a much, much bigger window than I've been doing up to this point. Yeah, and I think the importance, too, for both entrepreneurs and if you're a sales professional is think about your own future, right? As an entrepreneur, it's your business, but if you're working for a corporation, a salesperson, you're saying, okay, what does the future hold for me? Yeah, book becomes important. It's well worth the read as a mad genius because, yeah, start thinking about how you position yourself going forward. It's always going to come back to adding value, solving problems. And that's kind of the underlying theme through the yep. book. And For salespeople, that is what you got to do. Absolutely. All right, well, Randy, thanks for joining me today. So tell folks how they can find out more about you, where they can learn more about mad genius and connect with you. So it's randygage.com, G-A-G-E, and I'm on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. You can find me anywhere. Books are all on Amazon uh, and, you know, any reputable reseller. Uh, And I'm on social media and I do interact and I love to hear from people. So uh, find me and let's chat. Excellent. Well, good. Well, Randy, thanks again for being on the show today. All right. Thanks for uh, having me on. It was great, uh, great show. And friends, thanks for spending this time with me today. Make sure you come back and join me again tomorrow. We've got a new episode every day of the week. Great content for you. Until then, if you get a chance, uh, go to iTunes, subscribe to the show. If you haven't done so already, leave a review. We really appreciate uh, your feedback. So thanks again for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 